Again, one more time, if you have your Bibles, please open them to um, Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I, I read out of the New King James Version. If you want to follow along with me, if you use an app or something, that's the one I use. Um, we, we here as a church, we want to encourage you guys to bring your Bibles to church every Sunday. Um, we have some loaner Bibles that we want you to have just so that you can um, have a Bible. A lot of you guys can get them on your apps, your phones. But even if you use an app or a phone, that's great. We encourage that. We love it. We welcome it. But um, we do encourage you guys to, on Sunday mornings, to bring a Bible with pages that you turn and fold. Um, and, and again, I just think there's something about it. I just think it's it, it just kind of... If you have your Bible on Sunday, we're hoping you'll have it on Monday and Tuesday. You'll see it on the counter. You'll open it. You'll read it. You'll spend more time in, um, with Jesus through the Word of God because we really believe here um, that the Bible teaches relationship with Jesus. And, and in order to have good relationship with Jesus, you've got to spend more time with him than just on Sunday mornings. And so a good way to spend time with Jesus is, is spending time reading the Word. We have a saying here. Um, I don't know, I probably haven't been doing it enough, and I, I need to stick with it because it really is the, the core value of our church. But our saying is, you guys ready? Read your Bible and pray every day. One more time. Read your Bible and pray every day. Now, I know for some of you, you may feel like, did I end up in the wrong building? Isn't Sunday school over there? But it, it does seem a little elementary. But I'll tell you, it's, it's profound and it's life-changing and I really mean that, and I, I could preach that for days, that um, the effects of reading your Bible and praying every day will have on your life. So we encourage you guys, bring your Bibles on Sunday, open them on Monday, open them on Tuesday, open them on Wednesday. Um, we're teaching the book of Hebrews right now on Sunday mornings. We're in the book of Second Kings, starting book of Second Kings on Wednesday nights. So if you come on Sunday mornings, we ask you to read a couple chapters before and ahead each week. If you come on Wednesday nights, we ask you to read a couple chapters before and a couple chapters ahead each week. And in that, you'll really enhance your, your church experience, your, your personal growth in Jesus, your learning. Now, I will say something about the book of Hebrews. And, and I'm pretty proud of this fact, to be honest. But um, we have, hey, I've got to say one thing before I keep forgetting. Hey, this is Larry. Everybody know Larry. Larry, raise your hand. Hey, Larry has um, been faithful in overseeing and running the um, Bible land ministry for the, since I've been here. So um, J- uh, Pat announced Jake, but I didn't want to leave Larry out because Larry actually runs that. No, 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 no. Larry's been, he's not going anywhere. Larry's been running that ministry for the last five years. Jake is actually going to join him this year. So, um, so anyways, you could see Jake or Larry, but those guys, we have great opportunity in Bible land. It's our Halloween alternative. We do it on October 31st. Um, the city of Tooele, they do uh, what's called a downtown trick-or-treat. So they invite all of the downtown businesses to put candy out in front, and then they invite the whole city. And, and 5,000, 6,000, I think they estimated last year, between five and 6,000 people came down Main Street for the Halloween trick-or-treat. So God brings 5,000 people right to our door every Halloween. So we invite them in, and we have a thing we call Bible Land, and we set up some, some Bible sets and we tell the kids little bible stories you give them candy all the way through our building is kind of shaped like a horseshoe if we come in this door and we go out that door we make it like a horseshoe and we we run them through and so it's a lot of work take it can grow and grow grow too our building has grown our building has expanded it's going to work much better than the way we're set up now for our bible land ministry but it takes a whole it takes a village it takes a whole church to to really put the effort forward to reach our community for jesus and if, if you're people that you see things like this in the big picture mentality. 
it's the, the big picture mentality is, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's, a, it's some money. There's some time. But, but the ministry, the work, the effort, the time is to share the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And that's how we see it, and that's why we do it. There is eternal reward, which is cool. There, there, God does, the Bible says he doesn't forget your labors of love, that he rewards you for your labors of love. We're going to read that right here in Hebrews. So, yes, there's an eternal reward, but that's kind of secondary. It's cool to think about that and have that. But really, it's, it's the call of God for us to serve him. And then the other thing, when we give of ourselves, it's how we stay healthy as believers in Jesus Christ. Because if all you do is just come and, and receive and receive and receive, you're going to become a very stale Christian. You, you won't grow, really. Naturally, you won't grow. The, you know, nothing grows in the, in, the, in the Great Salt Lake, right? It's just dead. It's, you know, the water's coming in, nothing's going out, it's dead. For a, water, a body of water to be healthy, it has to have an inlet and a what? And an outlet. And, and your Christian life is that example. In Israel, there's two great bodies of water. The Dead Sea, completely dead like our Great Salt Lake, and the Sea of Galilee, completely teeming with life. The Jordan River comes in the Sea of Galilee and goes out the other side. It has life coming in, life going out. And for that, the body itself is very healthy. And so in our Christian life, it's important that we receive and we also give out. Amen? All right, I don't got time for a bunch of uh, sidetracks today, you guys. Keep me on track. Hey, you, you can, but I didn't want to forget that. I was telling you about something else, and then I saw Larry, and I wanted to tell you about that. And then we started talking about Halloween. What was I telling you before that? Oh, Hebrews. Okay, that, is that what we're doing, Hebrews? Okay. Um, I, Hebrews is, listen, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm proud of you guys. There's lots of faces here today. It's a holiday weekend. I figured you guys would all be out funning in the sun somewhere this weekend. And, you know, um, sometimes I tease, this is the loser crowd. We didn't have nothing better to do this weekend. So we're, we're home, so we, we decided we'll come to church. You know, we didn't get to go out to the beach or the Red Lake or River or whatever. But, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, so, but anyways, I'm excited to see you guys. And the other thing I'm excited about is, to be honest, I've, I've finished 23 books in the New Testament. We have like three or four left. And in the time since we started our church in uh, September of 2013, we'll have gone through the entire New Testament, every chapter, every verse. And, and so when we teach systematically through the word, we cover things. And the reality is, you know, if, you, if we did a poll of, of a million Christians around the world, just to be honest, and I don't want it to be a, a point of pride for us or for me, but the reality is nobody would really understand anything about Hebrews 6 or 7. Go ask the average Christian what they know about Melchizedek. Go ask him what they know about, about Hebrews chapter 6 or 7. And the reason is, is because if you're in a church or you're in a denomination, and, and the, it happens all over the place, and, and many great, great churches this way, but you teach topically, which means you, you don't teach systematically through the Bible. You pick topics, then you preach on those each Sunday. You would go a whole lifetime, and I promise you, you would never pick Hebrews chapter 6 or 7, because that's not the message that, that makes anybody feel good on a Sunday morning. And Hebrews 6 and 7, it's, it's teaching too. Now, my personal uh, you know, personality and really where I feel like God has gifted me a little better is in the area of preaching, more like what we did during worship, you know, like kind of preaching and heartfelt. And, um, and, and yet I know my job as a pastor is twofold. I'm, I'm called by God to preach and to teach. I, I love the preaching part. Not so keen on the teaching part, you know. That's just not my my personality. I think I do okay because I have to, and I and I put an effort to study and to prepare so that I can teach. And I think both are necessary and important. And I think we make a mistake if we don't add both in our ministries, where where we do spend time where it's teaching. 
And, and to be honest, Hebrews, and especially here in chapter 7, it's a teaching chapter. It's, it's nuts and bolts. It's, it's shoe leather theology. Really what we're going to cover in Hebrews chapter 7, this is not going to be a message today where you're going to leave here and you're going to go apply something to your life immediately like there's this great life application out of Hebrews chapter 7. But if you don't understand Hebrews chapter 7, you won't understand the rest of Hebrews. And, like I said, when you put yourself in the big picture of, of every Christian in the world, you'll be in an elite class that knows what Hebrews 6 and 7 says and, and, and understands the intricacies of the Melchizedek priesthood. And so, um, you know, the good thing is today, honestly, whether the sermon is totally flat or whatever, it doesn't matter because we have already been thoroughly fed by the worship team, right? <laughs> yeah. That was so lame. Let's try that again. Have we been fed by the worship team? <laughs> you know, in ministry, it, it really is. The worship and the word is always a one-two punch, and you can't have one without the other. And Because, again, the Bible says that we use both to communicate and connect with God. If, if it's all worship and no word, then we become a very emotional bunch, and we only can relate to God based on our emotions, and that's dangerous. If... We only just don't, if we only just teach, 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 and just study the word, 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 and we don't have that intimate time of prayer and, and of emotional time, then we become Christians who are very full of head knowledge. When the Bible says head knowledge puffs up, and, and it makes us haughty, and it, it doesn't lead to relationship or love, so you have to have both. You have to have the, the word and the worship. It's always a one-two punch, and I'm super blessed that God's brought us such an amazing worship team that leads us into the presence of God every Sunday. Amen? All right. Pat said I'd hate to be the one that had to follow them, but he was the one that had to follow them. All right, hey, we better get after it. Hebrews chapter 7. Can I say one more thing? Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, I'm flying to Georgia right after church today. So um, the reason is because I like hurricanes, and so I'm going to go chase this hurricane. No, I'm just kidding. I'm actually flying to Georgia, which is close enough. I'm going to the Deep South Pastors Conference. It's one of the things uh, I do career-wise, and I travel with um, the CBI, the Calvary Bible Institute, and we, we, we run vendor booths at the conferences, and then we get to attend them while we're there as well. And So I'm going with Pastor Gerald to um, Georgia to the Deep South Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference. I leave today right after church. Um, hopefully when you guys are praying and you have your heads down, I'm going to disappear. And then when you pick your heads up, I'll be gone and vanish. i gotta, I got to fly out. I get out of the airport about 1 o'clock. I'll be home. Um, on Thursday. You guys can pray for me. So um, keep the conference and myself in prayer if you would this week. I've been tracking that hurricane and you know where we're going to be in Atlanta. I think we'll be right on the edge. Uh, by Wednesday we may get some bad weather, but hard to tell. I don't think we're going to be anywhere in the near. I was hoping that it wouldn't mess up our flights coming home. So keep me in prayer this week if you would. And then, uh, all right, now we're ready. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also God, Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first things translated, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, receive the priesthood, have commandment 
to receive tithes from the people according to the law that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Levi was coming, was, Levi was going to come from the loins of Abraham. Levi was in Abraham's genes because Abraham was going to give birth to a nation that was going to have a Levi. So Levi was in Abraham's genes. So, um, so in Hebrews chapter 7, you guys will get it tomorrow, don't worry. In, in Hebrews chapter 7, we, we introduce, now listen, Paul has, and we don't have time to set the backdrop. So if you're new today or if you haven't been with us for a couple of weeks, you're going to be lost for a minute. But I really don't have time to go back. But for those of you that know where we are, in context, we're, Paul is addressing a certain group of people, a very unique group, group of people in, in human history. They were Hebrews who were born under the law of Moses, who lived during the lifetime of Jesus, lived during the death of Jesus, got saved under the ministry of Paul, came out of Judaism into faith in Jesus Christ and relationship with God through Jesus, received Jesus as their promised Messiah. Many Jews of Jesus' day rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Many Jews today in Israel still reject a very few Jews in Israel today that received Jesus as Messiah. Most of them, I would say, have rejected or are very secular. Well, in Jesus' day, some had received and some rejected. Well, those that had received Jesus were going from Judaism and following temple rituals and temple rites to freedom. And now for the first time, they could eat bacon cheeseburgers. For the first time, they, they didn't kick their wives out, didn't have to kick their wives out of the house for a week every, every month. They, they were living now under the dispensation of grace. And so Paul is addressing this group of Hebrews. And the theme has been all the way through that Jesus, our new high priest, is greater. And now Paul is going to introduce, and he's been telling these guys, listen, you're not growing very fast in your relationship with Christ. You're not growing very fast as a Christian. Paul was discouraged with these people. He said, by now, I should be feeding you steak, and you're still ready for milk. You're not progressing like you should. And one of the themes of Hebrews for you and I has been grow up, mature in your Christian faith. God loves you absolutely. God came into your life, but when God comes in your life for a good way, he wants to change your life. And as a, as a Christ follower, um, God expects that there's, there's maturity and that there's, there's growth that happens. And God has put things before us like reading our Bibles and praying every day, being relational with Jesus, worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth from our hearts, desiring to connect to God, desiring to serve a God who we know and believe to be alive and well, a God who can answer prayers, a God who cares about you so much that the Bible says he counts the number of hairs that are on your head on a regular basis, and every time you lose one or gain one, he knows the difference because he's spending the time. Why would God count the number of hairs on your head? Why would he tell you that? That's such an amazing, powerful detail just to let you know how much he cares for you. How, how, you know, like, if, if, you know, for, for Mike, it's really easy. God just says, I love him so much, I just count zero every day. Zero, it's still zero. Like, no problem, he's got it, you know, but... But his great love will still count the zero on my head every day. And if it changes, you know, maybe he'll get a little wild one every once in a while. God will say one <laughs> before he plucks it. But, but God, he, he, he cares and his desire is that we, we grow, that, that we um, spend time with him, that we get to know him, that we read the word, that we develop a maturity as Christians. And unfortunately, just the reality is, you know, because you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, it doesn't mean that your, your maturity level is at 30 years. 
It's like dog years. It's just Christian years and, and, and maturity years are different than human years. Because you can grow a lot faster than what your years are if you're really on fire for Jesus. If you really desire to know Jesus and grow. I've seen many people here in our church in six years. And I've been so blessed by some of the stories that God has brought out of here. That God has done apart from us. People that didn't know Jesus when they got here. And for some people, you can watch it. You watch it around here. You look at Pat. He just caught a fire somewhere. Just somewhere Pat came, he started walking with the Lord, and somewhere in his heart, he decided this is what he wanted to do, and he was full on, and he caught a fire in his life, in his heart. And the other men and people that we've been watching over the last years who, who, who have been growing supernaturally, growing at a faster pace, and, and are maturing very fast. So anyways, the, the theme of Hebrews is, is for us. I, I was bragging on Dan like a month ago. It's Pat's turn now. Um, so the, the, the theme of Hebrews is... To, to mature, to grow, to spend time with the Lord, and, and, and we do that. So then, so Paul, uh, so, sorry, I'm trying to go too fast. I got a plane to catch. Paul, Paul is one of the themes. He wants us to grow. And he told, the, he told these guys, listen, I wanted to teach you about the intricacies of this guy Melchizedek, but you weren't ready, he told them in chapter 5. And now we get to chapter 7, and he's finally ready to introduce and lay to them Melchizedek. Now, this is the context you have to catch this in. Melchizedek, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. No doubt, right? That's clear. That's here. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You guys, you guys understand that? So Jesus is, who, who, let me ask you this. Who is your high priest? Who is your king? Okay, so Jesus has two roles in your life, a king and a priest. Now, what does a king do for you? What does a king do for his people? A king provides protection. A king provides um, food and sustenance and, and life. And, and, a, and a king may give you blessings and monetary things and gifts and lands and, and, and security and, and jobs. Okay, that's what a king does for people. What is a, what is a priest? Now, now, listen, don't lose the term priest, right? We, we in our church don't use the term priest. It's a, it's a, the Catholics use that term, priest. I believe the, you know, the, the LDS church uses the term bishop. The, the uh, uh, Islam uses the term imam or iman, imam. And it's kind of the same position that I'm in, in the different denominations, the different religions, right? We say pastor. So the term priest just means somebody who's a, a go-between between God and man. Now, the, the priest itself is in a different category because we use the term pastor or um, shepherd because we don't have that, op, that function anymore. When Jesus died on a cross, the veil of the temple ran from top to bottom. And, and, and in the you know, classic confessional in a booth where you talk to the man and the man talks to God and then the man talks to you and told you what God says, we, we don't believe that function exists today. We believe it was a very valid function before Jesus died on the cross. But we believe that when the veil of the temple rent from top to bottom, that now God invited every one of us into relationship with him. And now we don't need the, the function of that, that human priest anymore. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You don't need anybody to go between you and God. That you have Jesus as your what? Is that not amazing? You have Jesus as your high priest. So now you have Jesus who says, I'm both king and priest. Now, we know what a, what a king does for us. We talked about that briefly. But what are some things that a priest or a pastor does for you? They maybe pray for you. They, they, they give you counsel. They encourage you. They love you. They, they lead you. They point you to Jesus. 
But Jesus is your great high priest, so he does all these things for us. Look at what, what, what Paul tells us in really the key of this chapter in Hebrews. Look at 7, verse 25. Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Read this with me. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. One more time. Since he always lives to make intercession for you. Listen, let this sink in. You have a high priest named Jesus who ever lives to make intercession for you. Does anybody not familiar with what make intercession means? That means to pray. The word intercession is to intercede or to plead with God on your behalf. To intercede as a lawyer would, a go-between, somebody who's, who's pleading with God for, for your case. And the Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. Somebody say amen. So we have a high priest who, who's a king on one hand, and he does all those things in our life as our, as our Lord and our king. But he's also a great high priest. Now listen, the Bible says in Isaiah that Jesus is the, is the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. Now, one of the things that we do professionally and one of the things that, you know, you find in church and one of the things that most local churches will offer is some sort of counseling ministry. And we do counseling here. We do marriage counseling. We do life counseling. We, and it's all biblical. And I, I've often teased but have been very truthful to say that I can make every one of you guys in, in the wave of my holy hand a Christian counselor. Should we try it if some of you haven't been baptized yet as a Christian counselor? Okay, let's try it. Everybody put your index finger out like this and point up to Jesus. Can you guys do that? Can you guys point people to Jesus? Okay, you're all Christian counselors. <laughs> Sign of the cross. You're all qualified because Christian counseling, all Christian counseling is, is pointing people to Jesus. I don't have the answers. I don't have the help. Jesus has the answers. Jesus has the help. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And, and, and so we do that. But listen, um, Jesus, who is our high priest, Jesus, who is um, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, your high priest, who's the greater priest, and the, and the case that Paul is making to these Hebrews, I, I want to encourage you, and I want to create, again, certain cultures within our Christian walk in, in our local churches. And, and I say this because I know for some of you it, it is new and it's different. And we're, we're creating this culture. But when you need counseling, if your first thought is to call me, if your first thought is to, is to call a friend, um, then, then you, you got a little backwards. And that's okay because the Bible says that, that there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. It's okay to get advice from other Christians. Now, listen, I'm getting little rabbit trails, but it's okay. You, you're not allowed to get counsel for your life from people that are not believers in Jesus Christ, okay? Just, just believe that, okay? You don't get advice from people that don't love Jesus. You can be friends with them. You can love them. You can hang out, whatever you want to do. But you cannot get life advice from people that don't love Jesus. That's what the Bible says. You're foolish if you do that. So when it comes to life advice or counsel, you get that from, from people who love Jesus. And secondly, if you get it from four or five people who love Jesus, the Bible says there's a wisdom in that because you're going to probably get some real godly counsel in that. But before you seek four or five people in your life, um, it, it's going to be upside down in your life if you don't understand first that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. That you have direct access to Jesus as your great high priest under the order of Melchizedek. And, and your priest, he's, he's the one who's teaching the other guys how to counsel. So you go to him first. 
And I would love to, to counsel anybody who, who wants to talk, who wants advice, who wants to pray, who wants to have me help use some experience to point them to Jesus. I, I'd love to do that for you. I'm not trying to shy away from that. But I want, here's what I want to tell you. I, I don't want to counsel anybody or try to help anybody that hasn't first taken their, their question and their problem to the great counselor, to the wonderful counselor, to the high priest, to the great priest Melchizedek after the order of Melchizedek. Amen? So don't come to me if you haven't first gone to Jesus, right? And, and so, you know, people ask me questions sometimes. And sometimes I get questions like, you know, Pastor, what, what, am I, what movies am I allowed to watch and not watch as a Christian? What things am I allowed to do? What, how, how far can I go with this girl I'm dating? And, 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 you know, I get these questions where I'm expected to be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. And I have some opinions about some of those things. But honestly, if, if I give you my opinion and you don't agree with it, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. But if I can teach you, if I can encourage you, it's like the old thing, right? If you teach somebody to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. If you give them a fish, you feed them for a day. If you teach them to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. So rather than me answering what kind of movies you should watch, how far you should be going with this person you're dating, I will say to you, what, what did dad say? And I like, to make, I like to make it personal, like, dad, what do you mean? When I say dad, I'm talking about our heavenly father, our Abba father. You know, what did dad say? I don't know what movies you should watch. I don't know what dad say. What did God say? Did you ask God what movies you should be watching or not watching? Like, do you, do you live your life believing that God is able to answer those questions in your life? Now, if you don't, then, then that's something we got we to jump on with two feet. Really, God, God does and can and will. Let me just tell you, he's really good at talking to people. He wants to answer those questions in your life. He wants to be a, a father to you. He wants to be relational with you, and he can, he, can, he can solve all those things in your life. He can give you a peace or an anxiety. But I, what, what, we, what we need to do, listen, hear this. What we need to do as Christian people is we need to be in the habit of being relational with God, of, 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 of being intimate with the Lord. And so go to God. And then, and then if you're not sure, sometimes I understand, listen, and I have the same problem. I go to my counselors more times than anybody comes to me, I promise you. I'm constantly going to my counselors, my pastors. I'm calling them on a weekly, on a daily basis. I talk to Lydia's dad multiple times a day, oftentimes. Um, and, and I have no problem seeking counsel from people. It doesn't mean that I haven't been praying about it, and I haven't been asking God, and I haven't been trying to, to know what God's will is. But then, then it's, it's wise to bounce it off somebody. So it's okay but in the habit of knowing we have a great high priest, right? Okay, now here's the second issue that I have to solve in about three minutes. Okay, go to Genesis 14. I'm going to wait for you. I wish you'd hurry because I don't have a lot of time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Take your time. 14, Genesis 14, 18. This is the first mention of Melchizedek. In the Bible. Before this, we do never hear, we don't know who this guy is. Okay? We don't hear about him in biblical history for another thousand years. So if you write, if you write notes or if you highlight, write, write a note next to Genesis 14, 8, 18. Write Psalm 110. Because that's the next time we're going to hear about Melchizedek in biblical history. It's a thousand years after Abraham lived. Abraham lived 420 years before God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
So this is 400 years before there were animal sacrifices, before there was any temple rituals, any law, any, any kosher laws, Sabbath laws, anything that had to do with the law of Moses, where we are in Genesis 14, um, that's not going to come for another 420 years. Now, parenthetically, um, when we get to Abraham in Genesis 14 in your, in your Bibles, you are at the halfway point of the Old Testament. Now, I don't know what it is for sure, but it's pretty safe to say, let's just use a 4,000-year model that from Adam to Jesus took about 4,000 years. Abraham, in Genesis 14, is the 2,000-year mark. So so half of the Old Testament is done time-wise when we get to Genesis 14. 2,000 years left. By the time you get to David and Isaiah, you're about 600 years before Jesus. Um, so, so Abraham, we have this guy who shows up out of nowhere, and it says of Melchizedek in verse 18. There's no way we're going we're gonna to finish, uh, Brian. We're just going to keep rolling for a minute. Um, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out, somebody say, bread and wine. Did we bring out bread and wine today? Okay, what did we bring out bread and wine for? To represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? So this guy, Melchizedek, comes out of nowhere. And he just happens to bring bread and wine, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, um, who was a priest of God most high, and he blessed him. And he said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand and gave him a tithe of all. So Abraham gives him a tenth of all he had. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham as the greater. Now, Melchizedek, we have no record of him. We have no history. We, we know nothing about him. He doesn't appear in any other page or, or genealogy or anything in the Bible. All of a sudden, Abraham goes to fight this war to rescue Lot. He defeats these, these armies of Chedorlaomer. He comes back from the battle with the spoils of war, and this guy Melchizedek appears. And, and, and Abraham bows down to him. Abraham blesses him. Melchizedek brings bread and wine. And then Abraham pays him, uh, gives him a gift, a tenth, uh, where we kind of get the biblical term of a tithe. Tithe means tenth. This is kind of where it was generated. Um, And and so then Melchizedek disappears. David just kind of briefly mentions him in one verse in Psalm 110. And then again, nothing until Paul tells us exactly what was going on with Melchizedek and explains it to the Hebrews in, in Hebrews chapters 7 specifically. Now, who he was, who was that guy that appeared to Moses in, or to Abraham in Genesis 14? Okay, I personally lean towards heavily towards the fact that that was what we call a Christophany. Okay, a Christophany is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. An Old Testament appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. No, it's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. That's good enough. I only have to use Old Testament once. Um, so, but listen, there's no controversy of whether or not Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. The idea of a Christophany is not revolutionary. It's not controversial at all among scholars. I don't care where you fit. It, it's pretty clear that, that at least, and there's, there's more, and there's some that are here and there, but there's at least six very obvious times where it's Jesus who appears in the Old Testament. Jesus appears to Abraham. Jesus appears to um, Jacob and wrestles with him. And, and, and Jacob appears to Joseph. You remember when Jake, uh, Jesus appeared to Joshua as the, as the commander of the Lord's army. Jesus appeared to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. 
Jesus appeared to Samson's mom very clearly and gave her the prophecy that she would have a son, Samson, who would take on a Nazarite vow. Jesus appeared um, six times, and I just mentioned six. There's probably a, a, a few more at least. So the idea that Jesus appears in the Old Testament, no controversy. Okay, nobody, nobody disagrees. Whether or not Melchizedek is Jesus himself as a Christophany, there are some that would, would lean towards him it not being Jesus. I just got to throw that out there. You can make your own decision. I, I, I realize that probably my opinion for many of us will, you know, will sway which way you go sometimes. So I try to be careful with that. But on this one, I, I, I could almost be just dogmatic that this is a Christophany. That's 100% Jesus. There's no doubt. There's a couple things where you have to give a little bit of a pause. Like in verse number um, three, it says that he was made like the son of God. Well, like the son of God and God are two different things. So that gives me maybe a little pause that maybe I, I can't be 100% dogmatic that that was a Christophany. That, that maybe um, that this Melchizedek was a real guy. You know, but there's, there's nine things that tell me he was Jesus, and there's one little thing that says, oh, okay, i got to take a little pause. But it says he was without mother and father, that he was without genealogy. Now, the other side just says, oh, well, that just means we don't have it recorded. And they write all this stuff off. I can't so easily write it off. And then it says that he's a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, we have this, this, this strange guy and who, where was he, who, who, where did he come from anyways? 430 years before the law, he's contemporary with Abraham, and he's a priest. A priest of what? Like, who did he shepherd? Did he, he didn't have a temple. He didn't make sacrifices. Where, where was he and who was he? Like, it never makes sense to me that he was just a regular guy. To me, it has to be an appearance of Jesus. It's the only one that makes sense to me. And then um, if it's not just Jesus, the other problem is that this priesthood is an eternal priesthood. The priesthood of Melchizedek, the Bible says, lasts here, right, forever. So that would mean we'd have two priests of the order of Melchizedek for all of eternity, and that, that doesn't fit. It says that um, his very name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Melech, king of, Chesedek is, is righteousness. So the very name is king of righteousness. I don't see a, anybody but Jesus being a king of righteousness. The other thing is that in the, in the millennium, do you know what Jesus' name will be in, in the millennium, what we will call him? Jehovah. Anybody? Lydia? Not Jaira, not for the millennium, not for Jesus. Jehovah Tidzkanu. That's Jesus Tidzkanu. You never heard that one? Jehovah Tidzkanu. That's, that's Jesus' name. What it means is the Lord our righteous. And so Jesus, the Lord our righteous, will be the name that Jesus will use, that we'll call, that he'll go by through the millennial reign of Christ. Jehovah Tidzkanu, the Lord our righteous. This guy's name is the King of Righteousness. The second part, it says here in, in, um, in verse number two, it says, or I'm sorry, in verse number one, the King of Salem. What does Salem remind you of? Well, the word Salem means peace, but it's, it's short for Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe this was a first reference of, to a pre-Jerusalem. And, and that um, Jesus, the Bible says, you know, one of the things I love about the city of Jerusalem, and, I, and as you guys know, I'm very, if you don't know, I like to tell you, so I'll tell you again, but I'm very pro-Israel, I'm very pro-Jewish, I'm very pro-Hebrew, I believe that Jesus was a Jew, so I really like the Jews. I just got something about it, and I don't know how you could... Love the, the God of the Jews who was a Jew and hate the Jews. That just doesn't make sense, right? But um, 
I've been to Israel a bunch of times. I'm going a bunch more. I just have a heart for the Jewish people and for the land. And, and one of the things about the Jerusalem that's very unique of any place in the whole world, God says of Jerusalem, he says that Jerusalem is the city of the great king. So God looks around. He sees Tokyo and he sees all the places. And when he sees Jerusalem, he says that's the city of Jesus. That's the great city. That's the city of the great king. And so here we have Jerusalem. We have this king who's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. It sounds a lot to me like Jesus. Amen? All right, you guys, we're so out of time. I, I, gotta, uh, I just got to cut it. I guess I'm going to try to pick it up there next week, but uh, we, we got to get out of here. I got to get you guys out of here. Um, really what I want to share, and as we'll wrap up with this, is just that, hey, read that, please. Read through that chapter. And, and I will tell you, again, there, there's, there's two sides of the coin there, and I, I just, you happen to know where I lean. I lean strongly on this one, that, that Melchizedek is a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. But I will say this. For those that, that, that use or have the, the Melchizedek priesthood today, you would have a very, very, very difficult, did I say very enough times? A very, 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 very difficult time making a biblical argument that you're a, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Or that you would, you know, the audacity, first of all, to be, I mean, it's, just read what it says about this guy. It says that he was, he was so great. He, Paul says, consider how great this man was that even Abraham bowed down to him. That even Abraham paid a tithe and a tenth to him. And really, it just is out of, of, of a biblical illiteracy, to be honest, to, to really understand. So here's what I want you to understand and know about Melchizedek. Melchizedek was, um, the priesthood of Melchizedek is something that, that's a divine priesthood that God, God set up for his son because the Levitical and the Aaronic priesthood, which God had already set up, had problems and holes. And the Aaronic and the Levitical priesthood was not good enough for Jesus. It wasn't a high enough priesthood for the office that Jesus was going to hold as your personal high priest. And because Jesus is not only the great king of kings and lord of lords, he's also your pastor, your shepherd, your king. And he does those functions in your life that, that he needed to be a priest. And in order to be a priest, he had to have a special order. And he could not fall, Jesus could not fall under the Aaronic or the Levitical priesthood. So God created the, the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is a divine, a heavenly priesthood that, that really only has one officer. And that's Jesus Christ, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then as you know, as I've shared many times, you can be, God did not allow anybody in the flesh to hold these two offices. You can hold two offices, prophet and different things, king. David was a prophet and a king. He was a poet and a king. But there was two offices that God did not allow to put together. And when King Uzziah, who was a great king most of his life, tried to take these two and put them together, God immediately struck him with leprosy and he died from that leprosy because God forbid it. But you could not be both priest and king. God didn't allow it. But Jesus, who has to fall under the Aaronic and the, and the Levitical laws in order to fulfill and complete the Old Testament, which means he has to follow them all to the T. He can't break one of them. There was only one person in all of human history ever that, that fulfilled, the, completed, and did not break the law of Moses, and that was Jesus. But in order to keep that title, he can't be both priest and king. But he is both priest and king. 
And again, to the Jew that was hearing it, lots of problems. What do you mean Jesus is a high priest? First of all, Jesus isn't even from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. We all know that. And only, only those from the tribe of Levi can be priests. And God says, God says he's, he's a priest under the order of Melchizedek. Secondly, he can't be both priest and king. Well, sure he can because he's not under the Levitical priesthood. Amen? Amen? All right. Hey, don't lose this sight. Let's stand. Don't lose sight of this. Jesus is your high priest. Okay? And I don't care what term you need to tell yourself to make that understandable, whether the term is shepherd, pastor. Jesus is there for you spiritually. Jesus is your spiritual guide. He's a, he's a God who's alive and living, who wants to know you intimately and personally, who loves you. And I want you to be in the habit of seeking Jesus for your, for your personal needs. I want you to be in the habit of knowing God. Amen? It's 1138. I said I was going to have the worship team come up, but uh, we're probably going to have to let everybody go and grab your kids. So, uh, but we had a good, good day, right? Did you have a good day today? Even if we didn't get to the last song. Sorry, Brian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord God. Lord, there's just so much in Hebrews 7. I just had to cut out over half of it, Lord, to what I really wanted to cover today. I pray for us as a church, Lord, that um, maybe for, for those we just spend a couple hours this week, a couple minutes, um, just going through Hebrews 7 and reading it and, and looking at the story in Genesis 14. And, um, Lord, understanding and just knowing, Lord, that you ever live to make intercession for us. That, that what kind of pastors and preachers and leaders do we want to sit under? We want to sit under ones that we know are praying for us. We want to sit under ones that we know are spending time with the Father and receiving so they have something to give. And so, Father, as we sit under our great high priest, Jesus, we know that he ever lives to make intercession for us. We know that he's pleading with the Father on our behalf. And, Jesus, we thank you that you're our high priest. We thank you that you're our wonderful counselor and our great shepherd and that you have all the wisdom that we need. We thank you, God, that you've not placed any human being above us in, in, in spiritual things that we have direct access to you. And God, you've placed other brothers and sisters alongside of us, pastors and counselors and friends, and, and together, Lord, alongside iron sharpens iron. And so use our function in local church and, and the roles that you've created and know, God, that, that each one of us want to come to you first. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless you guys. We love you guys. Have a great week.